Well, good morning. My name is Matt Witzel, and I serve as the administrative pastor here at Hallmark, and it's a joy to be with you this morning. Uh, today, we're going to be concluding our series, Material World, and we're going to be in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Uh, so you can open up your Bibles and find your way there. Over the past few weeks, we have discussed uh, ownership issues, how God has a divine ownership over everything. And so we first need to cross that bridge and understand that before anything else is going to make sense. The next couple weeks, we talked about relationships. We talked about commitment. This morning, we're going to discuss generosity. Generosity. And personally, I would like to say that I believe myself to be the most qualified person to speak on generosity because I love to be generous to myself. Can you relate with that? I'm good at being generous to myself, but when I need to be generous to others, well, that's when there's sometimes a little hiccup. Uh, that's when I start to have thoughts and questions cross my mind of if I help you, how are you going to help me? You know, what is this going to cost me if I'm generous to you? Sometimes we struggle in being generous to others. A few weeks ago, I was serving in the kids' ministry, and I had a pocket full of $100 bills, fake $100 bills. And I had a thought cross my mind. I was curious, what would happen if I just started handing out $100 bills to this classroom full of six and seven-year-olds? I'm not saying this was a great idea. It was certainly entertaining. After I handed out a few, the kids were skeptical at first, but they quickly looked it up in the light, and they convinced themselves that these bills were authentic. And the room immediately became full of energy. Some of the kids started dancing around the room. They were running around the room. They were waving the $100 bills in the air. Other children were just carelessly leaving them on the tables, letting them fall on the floor. Some of them even ripped the $100 bills. Uh, so with all due respect, uh, some of your kids do not know how to properly take care of $100 bills. They might need to be talked to about that. In the midst of all that craziness, one of the kids came up to me and said, Mr. Matt, I am going to give my $100 to a manna kid in Africa. Uh-oh. <laughs> of all the possibilities of things that was going to go on, I did not think that was going to happen, right? Like, I'm in a pickle now. Uh, but as soon as that child said that, the, the struggle for generosity was all over their face. She immediately heard the words that came out of her mouth, and she quickly followed up with, actually, could you give me another $100 so I could send that to Africa and I can keep the one you gave me? <laughs> we love to be generous to ourselves. Sometimes there's a struggle in being generous towards others. Uh, we all struggle with this at every age, even if we're dealing with fake money. Uh, but this is also true in Luke chapter 15. Jesus is speaking to an audience of people. And in verse number two, he's going to be confronted by a group of religious leaders. Verse number two says, and the Pharisees and scribes were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Even the religious leaders of the day did not understand why is Jesus welcoming? Why is he being generous to sinners? 
And so he decides to give them a parable to help them understand God's generosity to all of us. This parable is most commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. This story is going to involve a father and his two sons. But before we read it, there's one quick note we need to make so that we understand while we read this story. That this father in the story is not just any father. He represents God the Father. He represents our Heavenly Father. So as we read this and we see how this father is interacting with his sons, we can receive that as this is who God is, or this is what God does, or this is how God feels. So let's walk through this parable, and we'll take some notes on the father's generosity. It begins in verse 11. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. The first thing we want to highlight this morning is that the father is generous to those who turn away. The father is generous to those who turn away. The younger son comes to his father with an absurd demand. Essentially, the son is saying to his dad, "Uh, Dad, I have plans for my life. And because you're alive, you're in my way. So let's pretend you're dead and you can give me what's mine and I can go on with my life. I don't want you, I just want your stuff and I want it now. Now, if this was your child, how would you respond to this child in this moment? Who does this boy think he is, right? But perhaps what's more absurd than the son's demand is the father's response to the son. The father proceeds to divide the estate. And he's not just going to divide it to him, but to them. Both sons are going to receive their entire inheritance. Everything this father has ever accumulated, he is now giving away to his sons. But what makes this situation a little more tricky is that his youngest son didn't want the estate. He wanted the estate liquidated. The father didn't have a 401k, IRA, and savings accounts that he could withdraw the funds from. He had to go into town. He had to go into the community and sell his herds, sell his cattle, sell his land. He had to go to a third of his servants and lay them off because he no longer had a job for them. Imagine this father, the embarrassment that he's now enduring. He's the talk of the town. That's the man who lost control of his sons. Now, did this father have to respond this way? No, he didn't. In fact, everyone in the audience listening to Jesus on that day expected this to go in a completely different direction because Moses actually wrote a law about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, Moses wrote that if you have a rebellious or a stubborn son, the men of the city can come and take the son, take him to the outskirts of town, and stone him to death. That was the law of the day. Now, I know half of you are hearing that, and you're probably just astounded and, and, and just can't believe something so radical in Scripture would ever be written. The other half of you, well, you're parents of teenagers. <laughs> and you've been looking for a verse to justify your actions. So Deuteronomy 21 is the chapter for you. <laughs> but that's what the son deserves. But instead, the father gives him what he desires. Because this father, he is generous to those who turn away. And his generosity, it's not going to stop there. Notice in verse 13, 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. Verses 13 to 14, two quick verses give us the cycle of sin. It's fun for a season, but then the fun ends, and then we are left with nothing. This is how sin works every single time. It's full of empty promises and false hope, and the son committed himself to that. But something we want to notice is what Jesus is intentionally doing in this story with the son. In this parable, he is breaking down the value and the worth of this young man. This young man has experienced a natural disaster because of a severe famine. He's experienced a financial disaster because he has spent everything. He is penniless, he is homeless, he is alone, he's in a foreign land. He's working with pigs, which was considered one of the lowest class jobs in the entire community. Not only is he working with pigs, He's longing to eat the pig slop. And while this is all going on, no one in the entire land is willing to lend him a helping hand. The picture Jesus is painting for us is that this man has no value. He has no worth to society. Things are so bad for him, unclean animals are better off than him because they at least have food to eat. Verse number 17 when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. Eventually, he comes to his senses. And he says, I'm in a terrible situation. I need to make this right. I need to fix this. And so he begins by practicing this speech, this self-imposed penance. Dad, hire me as a servant, and I will come and I will work, and I will pay you back for all of my mistakes and my debts. It's not a bad idea. But this father has a different idea. Verse number 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while his son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Now stop for a moment. Who saw who first? The father sees the son first. Why does the father see the son first? The son has been gone for an extended period of time. Only the son knew when he decided to come back home. Only the son knew when he was getting close to his hometown. There's no communication, no emails, no text messages, no TikTok videos going viral. Only the son knew when he was coming back. Why does the father see the son First, it's because the father never stopped looking for his son to come home. The second thing we want to highlight is that the father is generous with his time. He is generous with his time. Time is our most valuable commodity. I can always go out and get more friends. I can always go out and get more money, more jobs, more hobbies. But I can never go out and get more time. And this father determined the best use of his time was for looking and praying for his son to come home. This was not an accident. 
He wasn't just looking outside to see if the mail truck stopped by and just happened to see his son. No, this is something he was intentional about. He committed to spending time doing this. Every day, he's waking up in the morning at dawn to look over the horizon to see if his son's coming home. He's sipping his coffee on the porch, just looking off into the distance. He's walking the fields and surveying just off in the distance. Hopefully, today's the day. And every night, he's going out with a lantern. Hopefully, he can get a glimpse of his son coming home. He's always looking. He's always hoping. We can only imagine how many times someone came to the father and told him, hey, your son, he's gone. He's not coming back. Go spend some time playing golf. Go spend some time doing some other stuff. He's not coming home. No, not this father. He's not going to entertain that. This father is generous with his time. And this father's generosity is not going to stop with his time. Notice what continues to happen in verse number 20. The father, he ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The third thing we want to highlight is that the father is generous with his talent. He is generous with his talent. At times, PDA is generally frowned upon, but this father could care less. He begins with the run of indignity. In the ancient world, running was considered undignified. For an older man, it meant that he would have to pull up his robe and expose his legs. This most definitely was not kosher. Even still today, just imagine one morning you're outside enjoying the majestic sunrise, enjoying the cool air and the gentle breeze that's passing by, while an old man is furiously running by in a well-worn bathrobe. You're immediately going to go inside, lock the door, close the windows, call the authorities. Yes, officer, grandpa's running the streets again. Can someone tell him to put some pants on? <laughs> this father commits to the run of indignity because he's filled with compassion for his son. He just can't help himself. But then there's the hug, the hug of acceptance. Even though the son is covered in filth from working with the pigs, the father does not care. He gives his son a great big bear hug. This hug was to assure his son and us that even if the son stopped loving his father, the father never stopped loving the son. He follows that up with a kiss, a kiss of approval. Again, this son is in a very disgusting state of being right now. Has your spouse or kids ever wanted to give you a hug and kiss after you've spent the day doing yard work in the hot July sun? I do not think so. This father looks past all the filth, the slime, and the grime, and he gives his son a kiss to let him know that he belongs to him. But my favorite part, my favorite part in this scene is when he gives his son the shush. He tells him to shush it. Have you ever been shushed before? You like being shushed? You would have loved this shush. This was one of the best shushes in all the history of shushing. Remember in verse number 18 when the son was rehearsing his speech? He said, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. But when we get to verse 21, he begins his speech. And he says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then he gets shushed. The father does not allow him to finish his speech. This is the shush of reconciliation. 
The father is telling his son, don't you think for a moment that you can come into my house and give your speech about how you're going to work to pay off your debts. Because my talent, my greatest talent of all, is forgiveness. You can't work for my forgiveness. You can't earn my forgiveness. You can't buy my forgiveness. I give forgiveness generously. This father is generous with his talents. Now, yes, there's been a lot of generosity in this story, but guess what? This father's still not done. And what happens next is about to blow everyone's mind. And in fact, some commentators even call it scandalous. Scandalous. Scandalous sounds like a dirty word, right? It's not a word that we should be saying on Sunday. That's a word for politicians and tax collectors. But watch what this father does in verse number 22. The father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast. This is starting to get outrageous, all right? Let's just put this story in a quick recap. The son desires his dad to be dead, all right? He goes out and squanders a third of his father's assets. He lives like a fool. He parties it up with prostitutes and harlots. And when he comes back home, his father's response is, quick, bring the best rope. Yeah, the best one, not the Gucci, the Louis Vuitton, the silk one with the tassels on it, bring the best one. Hey, go to the family vault. Get that 32-carat diamond ring out. Bring it. I'm going to put it on my son's hand. And, oh, son, I got a treat for you. I just won these awesome Air Force Ones off eBay. You are going to love these things. Feel like you're walking on air. Hey, and everybody else, prime ribbon filet mignon for everybody. This is scandalous. Who does this? Right? This is, this is the cool dad. I mean, if you look at it from that perspective, it's the cool dad. Every high school kid would have loved to have this dad as their dad. But what we need to note here is that the father is generous with his treasure. He is generous with his treasure. The best robe would have been the father's personal robe, likely the most expensive piece of clothing in the entire house. The ring wasn't just any ring, it was the signet ring. It was a sign of decision-making authority. The son now has legally and financial control of the entire estate. The sandals signify sonship. Only servants went around barefoot. The father wants everyone to know, this is my son. And the fattened calf. First off, can you imagine what it would be like to raise a fattened calf in desert-like conditions? It would be an extreme challenge. Uh, one thing I've noticed going around on mission trips, uh, when you see cattle in other countries, they don't look fat like our cattle here in America. And the reason why is because the cost is too much. The fattened calf was an enormous expense to the family. But this father feels that this type of scandalous, extravagant, reckless generosity for his son is necessary. Why? Why is he being so generous? What is Jesus trying to teach us about the Father? See, the Father, he is looking at the end game. He desperately wants his son to come home, to be with him. The son desires to go out and live in the world, the material world. And there's a broken relationship here. 
The father is well aware of what the world has to offer and the mess that his son is about to get himself into. It's the father's hope that after the son suffers in the futility of the world, when he comes to his senses, that hopefully his son will remember the way to come home. So to help his son remember the road home, he paves the road with generosity. Because at home, he'll be accepted. At home, he'll be loved. At home, he will be forgiven. The key point here is that generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. Generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. We have a generous father. And in this parable, he's reminding all people matter to God. Their salvation is the father's greatest concern. There is no sin too great that can keep us out of reach of the father's loving grace. He is generous to all who want to come home because generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. We often sing about this in the song entitled, Your Mercy. The song goes, I once was lost, I walked away. The road was dark, I could not see. My hope was gone, the pain was real, but your mercy, your loving kindness, it leads me to repentance. The Father's loving kindness led the Son home to repentance. So because generosity is the road that leads to the gospel, we as followers of Christ must be known as the most generous people on the planet. We must be generous just like this father was generous to his son. How do we do that? Three quick takeaways. How do we be generous like the father? First, we need to pray for compassion. We need to pray for compassion. In verse number 20, we see the word compassion. His father saw his son and he was filled with compassion. The word compassion is an interesting word. It's, it's the word spoligma in Greek. Spoligma. It, it literally means from the bowels, which coincidentally is the best way to pronounce the word. Spoligma. You've got to bring it up from deep within. <laughs> it refers to an emotion that arises spontaneously from the gut. When the father saw his son, he had spoligma, and he instinctively had to run to meet his son. This is what we're going to need to reach our one, our display that's in the back. If we want to turn those white ping pong balls into green ping pong balls, we are going to have to pray for compassion. We're going to have to have the compassion that Jesus had. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus, he, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And his disciples said to them, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The father spent all his time praying for his son to come home. He was praying for compassion. We need to have this compassion. Augustine once said, pray as though everything depended upon God. And then work as though everything depended on you. Speaking of work, the second thing we're going to need to do is prepare for duty. We must prepare for duty. When the father saw his son in the distance, he knew it was go time. He pulled up his robe, he put his hands and his feet to action, and he used his talents, and he got to work. Are we being generous with our talents? Our God-given talents 
that he intended for us to use to build his kingdom. Uh, currently, as we've been mentioning, we have a ministry fair going on in the foyer right now. Our church needs you to use your talents. Do you enjoy greeting and welcoming guests, making sure they feel welcome when they come into this place? The connection team needs your help. Do you enjoy serving with kids or teaching kids? Do you know that it's a bad idea to give kids $100 bills? Right? Our kids' ministry would love to have your help. Do you enjoy singing? Do you enjoy playing an instrument? The worship team needs your help. Do you enjoy eating donuts? The eyes and ear security team needs your help, right? <laughs> Providing security to the entire campus. <laughs> but Sunday's not the only time for us to use our talents. Every Sunday, we end the service with churches and over. It's time to go out and be the church. Generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. And so we need to be out in our communities paving that road to the gospel. What ways can we serve our community? Can we volunteer at our kids' school? Can we coach a ball team? You know, every, every month we do waffles for Wednesdays for our high school uh, just down the street. We just make waffles for the teachers just to encourage them, just trying to be generous. Uh, next month we're going to be uh, a distribution center for the Tarrant County Mobile Food Bank. We're going to need many people to use their hands and feet, and to make that happen, we must be generous, because generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. To be generous like the Father, we're gonna have to give our time, we're gonna have to give our talents, but also, we're gonna have to give our treasure. The third thing we have to do is we have to plan for giving. Plan for giving. Are we generous with our treasure? Pastor Ed mentioned something a few weeks ago that stuck with me ever since. He said, God left us on this planet to rescue people and it will cost. It will cost you your time, your talent, and your treasure. This is why one of the hallmarks of Hallmark is radically generous. We will be people known for radical generosity. Something we often say around here is tithing is the expectation, but generosity is the goal. First, we tithe. We give God the first and the best, the top 10% of what he has given us, we return it back to him through the local church. As we discussed many weeks ago, divine ownership. He already owns it all. We're just returning it back to him. But after we tithe, then we look for opportunities to be generous. There may be a special project here at the church or a special event we need help with. As the Lord leads, be generous. There may be a missionary that comes and talks about how their ministry needs help in a, in a faraway land. As the Lord leads, be generous. We may need to help out building an orphanage or a feeding center or whatever special project. As the Lord leads, be generous. But we shouldn't just be generous in the church. We need to be generous outside of the church as well in our community. You may have a neighbor. You may have a friend that's in need. As the Lord leads, be generous. Because generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. But sometimes, after we tithe and after we're generous, we even need to be extra generous. Sometimes we need to slaughter the fattened calf. You know, it's really easy for us to read past that part in this passage because in our world today, on any corner in America, you can get a steak, a burger, a brisket, or whatever you want. But from back here in this ancient world, when Jesus was around, this was a rare treat. Some commentators said that this celebration would generally only happen once or twice 
in a lifetime. Slaughtering the fattened calf was an out-of-the-norm, recklessly extravagant gift. This father had planned to do it long in advance. He probably didn't know for what reason. He probably didn't know when he was going to do it. But long before this moment ever came, in Luke chapter 15, he said, I want to be extra generous one day. And so he made an investment, and he got a calf, and he slaughtered it when the time was right. What do I mean? I mean, today, even right now, we're in this building on this land because 30 years ago, families came together and they said, it's time for us to slaughter the fattened calf. They bought this property and they built these buildings because they wanted this place to be a lighthouse of the gospel in this community. This past week with the Next Man Up rally, the second one we've done in two years, the reason why that rally was so successful is because there were families that came together and said, it's time for us to slaughter the fattened calf. And as a result, this past week, we had 40 young men stand up and receive Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Their eternity has been changed forever. <laughs> Generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. So we need to plan and prepare to be generous. We may not know for what reason. We may not know when that day will come. But as the Lord leads... And when God opened up that door, we're ready to give a recklessly extravagant gift that the world never saw coming. Tithing is the expectation, but generosity is the goal because generosity is the road that leads to the gospel. Our Father is generous beyond our wildest imaginations. He virtually bankrupted himself of everything he ever worked for just so that his son would come home. You know, we often call this story the parable of the prodigal son. But prodigal actually just means reckless. It means extravagant. And so when we read this parable and we see what the father's doing in this, it might be more fitting that this is the parable of the prodigal father. That's who he is. He's a generous father, a recklessly extravagant father who has extended his love and his grace to all of us just so that we would come home. Will you also be generous like this father? If you could all just bow our heads and just close our eyes. I'd like for us to have just a, a moment of reflection this morning before we dismiss. God is generous and he is generous to those who have turned away. You know, there's one thing the Pharisees and the scribes got right on that day when they confronted Jesus. Jesus does welcome sinners. He welcomes all of them. Have you ever begun a relationship with your heavenly father? Now would be the best time to do so. He's looking for you to come home. And it's just as simple as what I refer to as the ABCs of salvation. You just admit that you're a sinner. You believe that Jesus died on the cross and you're going to confess your sins and confess him as your Lord and Savior for the rest of your life. I'd like to invite you to say that prayer. It's a simple prayer, and I'll lead you through it right now. Just repeat these words right where you are. Just say, Father, I admit I'm a sinner, and I believe that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. And so, Father, I confess to you of my sins, and I confess that I want you to be my Lord and Savior 
all the days of my life. If you've said that prayer this morning, would you please let us know? There's a QR code in front of you in the pew. Just scan that. If that doesn't work, please come let me know. Let somebody know. Let a friend know. We'd love to rejoice with you this morning. But for those of us that are already in the house, we have another question. Will we be known for radical generosity? God has left us on this planet to rescue people. And it's going to cost. Are we ready for that? Are we willing to make that commitment, that investment? Is that going to be a priority for us? Father, we, we thank you for this morning. Father, you are the provider of everything that we have. You have been so generous to us. We rejoice in the truth that no matter where we have been, no matter what we have done, you are never out of our reach. You're always loving us. You're always receiving us. And you're always willing to forgive us. Father, we thank you for this story that just reminds us of how great and generous you are towards us. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who carry on that generosity, who lead others to see just how good you are. Father, help us as we carry the gospel here for us. Stand with us. We're going to continue this morning.